I have a message that I believe is for you for today. I had a completely different plan, and then I just didn't. It, it was a great message. It was great. There were two messages that went together, and I will probably share them one of these days. It was a great message, but it wasn't the right one for today. And, um, and this one is. So I've taught this one before, uh, about two years ago, um, with um, God always deepens it and, you know, does a little revising. But this message is entitled, The Condition of Your Heart. I'm actually going to share um, another message after this one that is um, a result of the Andrew Womack conference that we went to a couple of weeks ago. And that message is entitled, Magnify the Cross Over the Loss. So I am going to be sharing this, which I believe will lead right into that message and that very deep truth. But I felt like we needed some groundwork to be laid before I share that, that part of the message. So this book, or this message, actually, like I said, oh shoot, I didn't bring it with me. Kent, you've got 16 things going on back there, but... In the black um, briefcase bag is the book that this is based on. Could you get it or no? Okay. He's trying to, to do slides. He's trying to do video. He's trying to do sound. He is doing it all. He's not trying. He is. <laughs> My amazing husband. Did you find it? Thank you. So this teaching is based on another Andrew Womack book teaching that oh, phenomenal. This is it, and it's entitled Hardness of Heart. Hardness of Heart. And I'm going to be sharing a lot tonight about hardness of heart, but it's probably not what you would expect it to be. By Andrew Womack. W-O-M-M-A-C-K. And when I first heard this message, I heard him doing a, a TV series or whatever, and I heard a little tidbit of this, and he, said, and, he, he, and he referred to the book. So I bought the book, and it is a powerful, powerful truth I'm going to be sharing tonight. So I renamed it instead of Hardness of Heart. I renamed it The Condition of Your Heart. And the gist of this message, it's on the box at the top of your handout, the gist of this message is that the condition of your heart is determined by what you focus your attention on. The condition of your heart, and your heart is your inner person, your soul. The condition of your soul or your inner man or your heart is determined by what you focus your attention on. So we are a three-part being. We are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. Tonight we're going to be talking about our heart or our soul and the importance of what we focus our attention on. If you've been here and you've heard us teach much at all, you've heard the truth that Jesus paid an amazing price for us to save us from a whole bunch of stuff, not just sin. He came to save us from everything that was lost in the fall of man. And when we received our salvation, we received all of those benefits, and they are already paid for, and they are our inheritance. They're prepared for us in the spiritual realm. But you may very well not 
recognize them in your life, in your body, or in your whatever, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your finances, in your life. You might not recognize all of the inheritance that Jesus paid the price for. That is rightfully yours. So it's all prepared. It's all paid for. Jesus did it all. And when you receive Jesus as your Savior, it's yours. But you may not see it yet. So our soul, the condition of our heart, is determined by what we focus on. So if we focus on what Jesus paid for, what he loved to give to us through the stripes on his back and the blood that he shed and the death that he died. If you focus on the finished work of the cross, that's going to be the result that you see in your life because it will be drawn into your life. I live it. When Andrew Womack taught that weekend, he very clearly portrayed the fact that when you are focused on the cross and on the finished work of the cross, your life will look different. The life that you live, will it be perfect? Nope, because there's tribulations, there's trials, there's stuff in the world. But just like Yvonne went through an accident where her car was totaled and she was not harmed. That's the kind of life you'll live. Um, Yvonne has a choice whether to focus on the finished work of the cross and the protection that God gave her or the memory of the accident, the fear that she was in in the midst of the accident, the what if, the, the stuff, she could focus on that and, and have residual effects or she can focus on the protection and the work of the cross and have peace. And continue to have peace. So our focus is very important. Whether we focus on what's already ours in the spiritual realm. Or if we focus on the situation in our lives. Which is what is the natural thing or the worldly thing to do. To focus on the stuff. Using our senses. What you feel. What you see. What you hear. That's what Nicole did guys. When she got that CA-60 marker report and she was shipwrecked, she couldn't even call. She couldn't pray. She was focusing on the, the cancer came back instead of by the stripes of Jesus, she was healed. What we focus on is so important. The condition of our heart is determined by where we put our focus. So what I would like to do right now is I would like to start with the scripture. This is in Matthew 13, verses 14 and 15. Before I read it, I want to just tell you, this, ver this scripture is repeated three times in the Bible. The first time, it's given as a prophetic word in the book of Isaiah. The one that we're going to read in Matthew is spoken by Jesus. And the third time that this scripture is in the Bible. It's in, Matt, or in Acts chapter 28. And it is um, the apostles that are sharing the same word. So I'm going to read it. It says, Jesus is speaking and he says, this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. 
When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. This is about healing. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be physical healing. It might be healing of a marriage, healing of finances, healing of a people group. But the the bottom line is, when our hearts are hardened, we, we can't hear and see and receive and let God heal us. So we need to know what that is, what that hardened heart thing is. Jesus, in this scripture was dealing with the religious people. He was there doing miracles, preaching like nobody else had ever preached. There's one scripture that says they were astonished because he didn't teach the way the scribes taught. They were marveling. It it wasn't like the other people taught. And he was a rabbi. Jesus learned. Jesus went through the training of the Jewish, the young Jewish man but it was different. And so here Jesus was preaching, teaching, healing, signs and wonders following. And the, you know what the religious people did. They, they were angry. They, ha- they, were, they just pushed him away. They had this huge religious spirit. And this is who God's or Jesus is addressing in the scripture. So I wanted to find the word hardened because Jesus said those people had hardened hearts. And because their hearts were hardened, they couldn't, they couldn't receive so a hardness of heart, here's a list of some adjectives that mean that, that hardness means cold, insensitive, callous, unfeeling, or unyielding. Hardened heart. It's like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the elders, they were saying, oh no. They were calloused. They were not yielding. They weren't teachable. They weren't meek. A softened heart, on the other hand, is a a heart that is warm and sensitive and tender and feeling and yielding. And I'm going to share tonight, in a minute, I'm going to share how to grow that sensitivity and how to be hardened to the devil, how to be hardened to the ways of the world, how to be calloused when that bad report comes, how to to be cold and say, you're nothing, and continue to be sensitive and yielding and tender to the word of God and his promises and to his love and his finished work. We do need to be hardened, but we need to be hardened to the right thing. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to read that scripture again. This time I'm going to paraphrase it to to reverse it. Listen to this. When you hear what I say, you will understand. When you see what I do, you will comprehend. For the hearts of these people are softened. And their ears can hear. And they have 
open their eyes so their eyes can see and their ears can hear and their hearts can understand and they can turn to me and let me heal them. That's also God's word. That's his promise. That's his word. So I'm going to start by defining the problem of the hardest of heart so that you can recognize it if that happens to be something that is in you. So the problem of hardness of heart is that, just like the scripture shows, it may be keeping you from being sensitive to God. It may keep you from hearing him and being led by him. And here's a truth that I had never heard before until I read this and realized that the word of God was being revealed to me through this. We can be hardened toward God and still be a very good person, be a very ethical, moral, good person. Hardness is not only caused by rebellion and sin. It can be caused by rebellion and sin. There's another scripture in Hebrews that says that. It can be. On another session, I teach about godly living. And yep, our heart can be hardened by not being yielded to God instead of yielding to the world. And then you become calloused and sin doesn't even feel like sin anymore. Yep, that can happen. But I'm not talking about that today. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to share three signs of a hardened heart that don't have anything to do with sin or rebellion. And I'm going to show it to you through the scripture. The first account I'm going to share with you takes place right after Jesus multiplied the loaves and fed the 5,000. This is from Mark chapter 6. Then he, Jesus, saw them straining at rowing. So this is after he had sent the apostles ahead of him to the other side of the the lake. And he stayed back. And he saw them. He saw them in their boat rowing, straining, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. So let me me break this down. It's, it's almost strange that that sentence at the end, it doesn't seem like it fits. Because there's the account of the, the multiplication of the loaves. And then there's the account of Jesus walking on the water and he stills the storm. And then Jesus, and then the scripture says that they were amazed and they marveled because they were amazed when Jesus walked on the water. They marveled when Jesus walked on the water because they hadn't understood about the loaves, the multiplication of the bread. Because their hearts were hardened. Now let me explain that. One of the signs of a hardened heart is when you, this sounds really strange, it's when you are amazed when you see a miracle happen. 
because you don't really expect it. One of the signs of a heart that is hardened is one that even though you've seen the miracles, even like the apostles had with the multiplication of the loaves, even though you know Jesus, they did, you really don't expect it to happen to you. So if, or to anybody for that matter, and when you see a miracle, you're amazed. You're marveling. When I first read this, it was like, well, God, I must have a hardened heart because I'm always amazed at a miracle. And then he showed me, no, you're not, Cindy. You're not. You're praising me and you're excited and you're uh, in awe, but you're not amazed because you're expecting it. And I do. I do expect it. And I'm not surprised. I was just talking to somebody recently who had a miracle. Who was it? I can't even remember. I I hear so many miracles. That's a good thing. And it was like, I've been rejoicing. I've been thanking God and everything. But it was like, it was almost as if I don't want to be callous. I always want to be in awe of God. But it was almost like that because it wasn't a big deal because I see it all the time. I expect miracles. I see miracles all the time. I saw one 10 minutes ago or 10 to 7. I see it all the time. But the opposite is also true. Listen to this. Sometimes, this is another sign of a hardened heart that goes right along with this one. We pray and we don't see the desired results, but we say, well, that's kind of what I expected. So there's a situation, you pray for it, you don't see the, the result. And you're not even surprised because that's what you expected. When I pray for people, there's a balance. There's a balance to this. I, I don't care if I don't see the immediate results. I believe God. I believe his work is finished. I believe it's done whether I see it in your body or not. I'm believing. Even if I don't see the results, I love it when I see the immediate results, but I don't always see it right away. That doesn't mean that I think it's not happened or it's not happening or it's not being drawn from the spiritual realm into their body or into their life. With all my heart, I believe it. I don't have to see you get up and walk out of a wheelchair to believe God is the healer of the issue and believe that the work is done. And it's for you, just as much as it's for the next person. But if you pray and you don't expect it to happen, then that's hardness of heart. That's one of the signs that you're unfeeling and unyielding to that word. You're unyielding and unfeeling to the promise and to the faithfulness of God, to his promises. The world would say, uh, you're, you're in protective mode because what if it doesn't happen? Well, that's another lie from the enemy. It's another accuse, accusatory line of the enemy. So that's the first sign. Now I'm going to read another scripture. This one takes place also in the book of Mark, two chapters later. 
The first one was Mark 6. This is Mark 8. And this time, Jesus multiplies the loaves again. This time for 4,000 people. Same miracle. I think this is the only time in the Bible where there's two miracles that are almost identical. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have had nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. And then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? They had just seen Jesus multiply loaves. Now, I don't know in the actual time frame how long ago it had been, but that's a pretty big miracle. You would have thought they would have remembered it. This is the second sign of a hardened heart. You totally forget about what God has done for you, and instead you focus on what's going on in the present. A hardened heart, remember our heart is our soul, and it's our mind, our will, and our emotions. So a hardened heart is connected to our memory or our thinking or our mind. Our memory's linked. What our heart is sensitive to will remember. And what our heart is hardened to will forget. I'm going to give you an example. There's a woman I've been ministering to who has a stage four. I don't know what stage it is. I'm not going to put a number on it, but it's ovarian cancer. And she's in the middle of um, getting ready to have treatment. And I've talked to her two or three times over the last two, two or three weeks. And she is um, having a really hard time. And lots of confusion and fear and uh trying to figure everything out about the treatment and about the side effects and the, all the stuff, right? She's trying to figure all that out. And she came on um, Tuesday last week to Pastor Tim's meeting. She was supposed to start treatment the next day on Wednesday. She did start treatment. And I sat with her and I talked to her. And I started to ask her. I know this woman from the past, and she's had a lot of other healings. And I started to have her tell me about them. I said, her name is Laura. I said, Laura, tell me about some of the other things God has already done for you. So she started to tell me. She's been healed of, of uh, bladder cancer in the past. She was healed of uh, an issue with her eyes, with the pressure in her eyes. She was healed of that. I don't remember all. She's been healed of a bunch of things. And she, well, as she started to talk about that, something was happening in her. Then she started to talk to me about all of the amazing God incidences that have already happened in this thing with ovarian cancer because she's already had surgery, she's already had some other stuff. And like Yvonne, God has been completely supernaturaling everything. And as she started to tell me, detail after detail after detail, something was happening in her. Instead of that hardness of heart thing, I saw a sensitivity start to grow. I saw this woman start to be edified. I wasn't doing anything. I just asked her to start telling me some good stuff instead of all the bad stuff. Building up, building up, building up until she was so edified. She was so strong. I could hardly shut her up. The next day she texted me in the middle of chemo and started telling me all kinds of good things that had happened, how she had had complete peace that night, how everything had been going smoother than she could believe. And she had a huge testimony to share already. 
that had happened that day. But before I reminded her, she wasn't remembering all of those good things. Before I helped her to stir that up, that's not where her focus was. That's another sign. And we, as ministers, we often will do that. When you're, when you're here for a need, we say, okay, tell me about the good things God has done. Let's, let's meditate. Not on what it appears he isn't doing, but let's praise him for what we know he is doing, what you've already seen, or what the word says he's done. So that's another indicator. I'm going, to do, I'm going to share the third one now, and I'm going to share another scripture. This scripture comes a few verses after the one I just read. But in between, sandwiched, in between um, the, the feeding of the 4,000 and the one I'm going to read, there's a little, about three verses, where the Pharisees come to Jesus. He had just multiplied the loaves the second time for the 4,000 people. And the Pharisees come. And they are demanding a sign from Jesus. Yeah, he had just done a miracle. And this is a hardened heart. He was demanding, they were demanding a sign. And Jesus was probably very frustrated. And he said, I don't remember the exact response, but I think he was saying there will be no sign except that of Jonah or something like that. You've had your sign. But anyway, this is the next verse starting with verse 13. And then Jesus left them, and that's referring to the Pharisees. Jesus left the Pharisees. And getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they didn't have more than one loaf with them in the boat. And then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. I'm just going to take a break here. As we read the rest of the scripture, you'll see he was referring to that issue he just had with the Pharisees. He's saying, beware of how that can just get in and, 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 and poison the hearts and the minds of the people. That's what Jesus was referring to, but they didn't get it. And they reasoned among themselves saying, is it because we don't have bread? But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do, new, do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Doesn't that sound like the prophetic word from Isaiah? Hardened hearts where eyes don't see and ears don't hear and hearts don't know. And they're not remembering like we just talked about. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Well, then when I broke seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. And then he said to them, how is it you don't understand? So here's the third sign. The third sign of a hardened heart is that you know the promise. You know Jesus. You've seen miracles. You've seen, heard miracles. But you, they, they, haven't, they haven't affected you in a way that you perceive. 
and and compel you to live in faith or compel you to walk in faith and believe Jesus because faith is how we receive. God did the work. Our part is in believing. So sign three is you don't perceive or understand. It doesn't mean you don't know the truth. But it means that that truth hasn't been perceived in a way that has moved from knowledge to wisdom. From knowledge to perceiving the love of God. The will of God for you. So the disciples had knowledge. That's why I wanted to go on and read up to verse 21. Because Jesus asked them questions and they could give them the right answer. They had knowledge. They remembered the facts. But those facts didn't influence their behavior. Their knowledge was non-productive. Because they didn't have the spiritual perception and the wisdom to use it. So here's the bottom line. It's in the box on the bottom of that first side of your paper. Our heart is hardened towards God when we're more moved by what we see than by what God says. When what we see is what influences us and we don't remember all the good stuff God has done and we don't really expect it to happen and we, um, we don't perceive or understand that that's for us too. And to just have childlike faith and say, God, I'm going to trust you even though I don't get it. When we're more affected by what we see than what God says, then that's an indication that you've got a hardened heart. So now we're going to talk. The rest of this time, we're going to talk about the solution. That's the problem. Now we're going to talk about the solution. Here's some really good news. And it's not hard. What I'm sharing is not hard. You don't have to be a superstar. You can become sensitive to God and hardened to the world. You can reverse the condition of your heart to the point where one word from God is all you need to nullify any big, huge thing that the devil tries to throw at you like a bad report like Nicole had. One word from God that you perceive, that you that that has been spoken to your heart that has been revealed to you one word from God will nullify everything else but the choice is yours you can be sensitive to what you want to be sensitive to and you can be hardened to what you want to be hardened to Proverbs 23 7 says what we think on or focus our attention on controls the condition of our heart Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So where's your attention? That's the bottom line today. Where's your attention? So for the rest of this time, I'm going to share four, four things that we can do to change the condition of our heart. And I'm just going to be bold as a teacher, as a minister. And I'm going to say, do them all, 100%. Be all in. All four. Don't say, well, I'm going to try a little bit of this one or I'm going to try a little bit of that. No. Just jump in, both feet, and just watch what God's going to do. So here's the first one. The title is Consider, Consider Not. Whatever things you consider, you become sensitive to. And whatever things you consider not, 
you become hardened to, and you need to do both. I want to define the word consider. To consider means to take into account or to ponder. It's not just to faintly, you know, say, well, I'll consider that. No, no, no. It means you are dwelling on it. You are meditating on it. You are focusing on it. You're studying it, examining it. You know, we reason worldly junk all the time. We, we consider worldly stuff really well. But you're going to see that, of course, what, we, what is going to um, change everything is when you consider the word and the giver of the word. So that's consider. It's not just a faint little thing. It's a very big study, examine, focus, meditate, ponder. That's what consider is. And I want to give you another little picture of considering. And I know I've used this analogy, but it is, it's a big one for me. Considering, and I'm going to just specifically talk about considering the promise of healing or the promise of the word. When we consider, when we ponder the word, we're becoming pregnant with the word. We're conceiving it. The heart, we're talking about the condition of our heart. When we choose to consider the promise, our heart is our womb, our spiritual womb, and we literally become pregnant with the promise. But just as when a man and a woman become pregnant, the seed of the man and the seed of the woman come together and a baby is conceived, and that's beautiful. But in order for that baby to grow, it has to be fed well. The mama needs to take good care of herself. She needs to take care of everything in her situation, both her lifestyle as well as what she eats and and drinks and that kind of thing. And that's what we do when we consider God's promise. Not only do we get pregnant, but we also incubate the promise. And we, in a, in a spiritually uh, amazing way, we feed the promise in a good way as we consider and continue to consider and continue to meditate on that promise. Until, until that promise is at a point where it's ready to be delivered. And it may be a while. That's why when I pray and believe and I don't see it right away, it doesn't even faze me because the promise is there. The seed is there. They're pregnant. If you've received it, you're pregnant. And we're feeding, we're incubating that promise so that it can grow to maturity until it's ready to be delivered. So let's look at a scripture. This is an amazing example. It's about Abraham. A biblical example. So here's a man who God calls the, the father of faith. He calls the father of many nations. He, you know, this man is really highly esteemed in the Bible from the Holy Spirit's putting it in there many, many times in lots of depth about Abraham. The reason he was a great man is because what he did consider and what he did not consider. What really made Abraham strong in his faith was his discipline over his own thoughts. Yeah. Now listen to this. The first scripture I'm going to read, I'm going to read two different accounts, is from Hebrews. We're going to look at what he didn't consider, 
and what he did consider. Verse 8, Hebrews 11, verse 8. Urged on by faith, when he was called, obeyed and went forth to a place which he was destined to receive as an inheritance. He had promise, right? And he went, although he did not know or trouble his mind about where he was to go. Can you imagine being called out of your homeland and told you were going to go to a new place that was going to be this amazing inheritance? And you did it without even knowing where you were going? And without even troubling his mind. That shows me he didn't consider. That's not where his thoughts were. That's not what he was reasoning about. That's pretty amazing. That's faith. Because probably every one of us would not be there. We would be reasoning it all out and trying to figure out what God was doing. But listen to this, verse 11. Because of faith also, Sarah herself received physical power to conceive a child even when she was long past the age for it, because she considered God, who had given her the promise, to be reliable and trustworthy and true to his word. So she was considering the faithfulness of God. They had a promise. She was looking at that promise. Promise is great, but if you don't have a faithful person, that promise doesn't have much weight. So she was focusing and considering the faithfulness of God. And we know the end of the story. Here's another account, Romans chapter um, 4, verses 18 through 21. Different account about Abraham. So here's Abraham who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So that tells us what he didn't consider. He didn't, it was so against all odds for him to become the father of many nations with the situation that he was in, with his age, with his impotence, with his wife's age and with her barrenness. But he didn't even consider it. Remember the word consider. It doesn't mean just a faint little, you know, blip. Consider means meditate on, reason it out, focus on it, study it, examine it. He didn't do that with the situation in his body or his wife's. He didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. So that's what he did consider. He was fully convinced in the promise and in the faithfulness of God. So what Abraham and Sarah were doing, they were starving unbelief and they were feeding faith by what they didn't consider. They weren't feeding the unbelief with all the situation They were starving it and they were feeding their faith. And numerous times in the scripture, it says that they didn't waver. It says that they believed. It says they were strengthened in faith. They were feeding their faith. That's why their faith was growing and strengthened. They were praising God. They were giving him glory. Even before they saw the answer, they were thanking him. And then there's this other nugget in there. 
It's in the first line. It says, contrary to hope, in hope they believed. That means there was no reason for hope. In the natural, there was no reason for hope. But they hoped anyway. In hope they believed. The faith they had was an expectant faith. That word hope means expectation. It means confidence. It even means anticipation of that promise coming to pass. Like thinking about the end of the story before they've gotten it and getting excited about it. They had an expectant faith. They had become pregnant with the promise. Because they chose to consider the promise and not the problem, they conceived the seed. And then they carried it, they incubated it through to delivery. It wasn't a one-time thing. I mean, this was, it took them, I don't know, I think about 20 years from the time they got the promise until they, they had their baby and started their, the new ancestral line. It was a long time. And then God says, go kill Isaac. <laughs> Remember that part of the story? We won't go there today. But, but that's what they were doing. That's a picture of considering and considering not. So, you know, this is something to take home and think about. What am I considering? What am I considering not? I want to paint a hypothetical picture right now because this is, a, this is very often what, what happens in the world. Now, this hypothetical picture that I want you to see I, is um, a Christian, Christian view, not just a worldview. It's a Christian view. It's a believing view. So the... In, the hypothetical situation I'm thinking of is a person who has a diagnosis, bad one, but they know the truth. They know that Jesus died for our healing. They know that by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. They know some of the promises of healing in the Bible. They see Jesus as the healer in when he was walking the earth. They have that knowledge base, okay? So that's the person I want you to think of. Now they go to the doctor and they get a, a a negative diagnosis. Hypothetically, the first thing that happens is the doctor gives them a lot of information. Test results. Because of that test result, it points to this. And because of this, we're going to do this treatment. And because of this treatment, there's this possible side effects. And because of this, there's... Okay, that's what the doctor does. That's what doctors do. Now, hypothetically, that person's got all this information goes home and starts to talk about it. Talk to husband, talk to mom and dad, talk to confident, confidants or whatever, you know, people that they, they trust. They also very often talk to other people that have the same situation, going through the same thing or have gone through the same thing. So they're talking with a lot of people. They're talking about the problem. And then, because this is what smart people do, they go on the internet and they read and they read about the problem and they read about the treatment and they read about, they, they want to make sure they have the right doctor and the right facility. So they go and they check out the ratings of the doctors and the, the, they want the best, of course, the best hospital. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you see what I'm saying? There's a lot of feeding and fueling and considering a lot of other things. 
Yep, they, they pray. Yep, they, they, um, they, they declare the word. And yeah, they probably even put something on Facebook and ask everybody else to pray for them. But here's the bottom line. They haven't given as much time to meditating on God's finished work as they have on the problem. And then they wonder why, by Jesus' stripes you were healed, isn't working for them. Because they're considering the problem a lot more than they are the promise. They're reasoning, focusing, researching, talking more about the problem than they are the promise. It's way out of balance. Yeah, you have to talk about the problem a little. But I've learned through experience that it can be a very little. So that's number one. Consider and consider not. Here's number two, the second thing that, oh, this is, this is good to do. Number two is be sensitive to God. Remember, sensitive is, is that word softness versus hardened. Be sensitive to God and be hardened to the devil. Now I'm going to tell you, you need to have a hardened heart towards the devil. Because what you focus your attention on, what you consider you'll be sensitive to, and what you do not consider you'll be hardened to. So harden your heart towards the devil's purposes. Don't consider it. We give the devil too much time. We pay way too much attention to the stuff that's thrown at us. You know, I I get really angry. This, This is something that makes me angry. When I hear people one day after another after another saying, I'm being attacked again. This is the devil's doing this to me. This is happening. Why does the devil keep it? Doggone it. You're giving the devil too much glory. Give God glory. Stop giving it to the devil. There's a statement in this box that's on your paper that is big. Listen to this. When you harden your heart towards the devil's purpose, you will not even hear his voice. You won't even hear it. And I'm going to give you biblical proof. This is John 10 verses 4 and 5. And when he brings, this is Jesus, talking about Jesus being the shepherd. When he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet, they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The first part of that scripture is talking about Jesus the shepherd. The second part is talking about the enemy and all the yuck of the world. When we follow the voice of God, when we are sensitive to him, this is part of his voice. This is a big part of his voice. When we hear, when we seek, when we abide in him and allow his word to abide in us, we hear it. We know it. And that word know is a very uh, intimate word. It, It is the same word that is used throughout the Bible for a man and a woman knowing each other 
intimately in conceiving a baby. It's the same word. It says we will know his voice. We will intimately know there will be communion. His heart will be revealed to me and my heart is received, is always, of course, revealed to him. But there's that communion. And this scripture says when we follow him, we'll know his voice and we will not know the voice of the stranger. Yeah, yes, that's good news. Now, the reason most of us hear the devil easier than we do God is because we spend more time listening to the devil. That's what happens when this happens and you're shipwrecked right then and there. And you can't pray and you can't call somebody on that prayer list. It's because you're listening to the devil. I'm going to give you an example of somebody who didn't do that. Yvonne. That worked really good to have you share your testimony today. Because you were in my sermon. When Yvonne was in the midst of her journey... Um, and she was doing so well and receiving truth like a sponge and supernaturaling everything. God just, uh, it was amazing. But in the middle of that, something happened that tried to shipwreck her faith. There was a really tragic accident in her neighborhood. She lives in a neighborhood of young families with little kids. And a father ran over his child and killed the child. And this was a child that was a a neighborhood kid that went to her kid's school. And needless to say, it just broke her heart along with everybody else's. But what the devil did was he took that thing, that tragedy, and he connected it to Yvonne's situation with fighting cancer and basically just started to whisper negative in her ear and death and fear and all the junk that the devil likes to whisper. So this thing kind of gave the enemy an entrance to put thoughts in her head. And so Yvonne's first response was to fight the enemy. Yvonne's first response was to tell that fear to go away, to tell that uh, lie to leave. And she did it with all her heart, and it wouldn't go away. She kept fighting, she kept fighting, she kept talking and fighting. And then she realized, I know this was the Holy Spirit, she realized that she was spending more time fighting the enemy than she was talking to God. She was spending all of her time in a fight with the enemy that was already won. So she changed strategies. She got an iPod, and she downloaded a ton of Andrew Womack teaching. You'd think that, I mean, I listen to a lot of other teachers, but coincidentally, it was the same amazing teacher and she also had healing scriptures on CD, and she also had praise and worship music. Tons of stuff on her iPod. She put the buds in her ear, turned her iPod, and put it in her pocket, and she played it six to eight hours a day. Yeah. Her, she's a stay-at-home mom. Her kids were at school. While her kids were at school, and she was doing whatever she needed to do in her home, she had truth going into her ears. Remember, what we focus our heart on and our, 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 that, that good teaching was going right into her mind. So she was focusing on truth. There was no distance. It wasn't like it was out on the stereo with the distance for whatever to get her distracted. It was going right into her brain immediately. And she 
was, it, it, that's what she needed. The devil, the, she didn't even have to fight the devil because she was feeding herself and focusing on truth. She was worshiping and praising God. She was allowing the promises of scripture to go into her ears and into her heart, into her head and then into her heart. And like that scripture says, she didn't even know the voice of the enemy. It disappeared. The fear left. The enemy's whispers, couldn't, she couldn't hear it because she was listening to other stuff. It was gone. She didn't know the voice of the enemy anymore. So become sensitive to God and harden to the devil. Don't give the devil time. The next one, number three. Spend quality and quantity time with God, being separated unto him. That's important. The result is that you will become sensitive to Father God and know his voice. And you'll become hardened to the enemy and starve him out of your heart. We can live in the world, but not be of the world. That Bible says that. And it's critical to immerse yourself in, in God, especially if you're in the middle of a huge trial. I mean, I, I spend quality and quantity time with God every day, and I'm blessed to be able to do that. But even when I was working full-time, I spent quality time in the morning, and then throughout my busy day, he was a part of everything I did. He still is. But I'm saying that past tense because I'm blessed to be retired now in full-time ministry, so I, I'm able to do that but a lot of people that are working it just doesn't work that way but spend quality and quantity time joshua 1 8 says the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate or consider in it day and night day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success see the connection between staying in the word, meditating on the word, having a bee in your mouth, day and night. And the, the byproduct is success and being prosperous. Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22. My son, give attention. Consider my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Remember the scripture in Isaiah that said, your heart is hardened and you're not hearing my words and you're not seeing and you're not knowing the opposite of that is paying attention considering inclining your ear to my sayings don't let them depart from your eyes keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life to those that find them healing and health to all their flesh that word means physical healing the word life means physical life you can search it out in a concordance. That's what it means. It's not a spiritual life or a spiritual healing. It's physical life and physical healing. Pay attention. Allow the word to get in your heart and in your ears and in your eyes and see the result. Now, that's a choice. When we enmesh ourselves in the world, we harden ourselves to God. When we are so enmeshed, 
with the, with the world and the world's way of doing things. We become very sensitive to that and hardened to God. But when we are sensitive to God, when we are doing what these scriptures say, meditating and, and in that place of his presence, then we become hardened to the world. I want to give you two examples. The first example, um, you've, I've shared this story before, but I'm going to share it again. There's a woman on our team um, named Lisa who was diagnosed with stage 4 glioblastoma about seven years ago. She had a brain tumor one quarter the size of her brain, and it was death sentence, period. Lisa did exactly what I'm talking she spent quality and quantity time with God being separated unto him. Oh my gosh. She was, I mean, literally, her whole house was covered with scriptures. She played the word. She watched Kenneth Copeland and, and uh, different powerful teachers, Kenneth Hagen and a lot of really good teachers on TV all the time. She spoke, she talked, she, she declared the word. She built me up instead of me building her up because that was her sole focus. That's all she did. It was about, I don't know how many months it was, but she went through all the traditional. She had brain surgery, then she had radiation, then she had chemo. She went through the whole protocol. And that was like seven years ago and she is 100% healed. Yeah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, God. At the same time that Lisa was going through brain cancer, there was another woman coming to our healing meetings who had been diagnosed with breast cancer and it had metastasized to her brain. So she was also dealing with, that's where the, the danger was. The rest of the cancer was, I don't even think active, but it was in her brain. And um, this girl did the opposite. She it was so overwhelmed with the diagnosis and with the prognosis and with the symptoms and everything that she just wanted to get her mind completely off of it as much as she could so she would watch what I call garbage TV all day. She just sat in front of the TV. And she died. And I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not, you know, putting a blame on her. I just want to paint a picture of this truth. From two perspectives. Here's the second example I want to use right now, and it's the current state of our nation. There's a lot of junk going on in our nation right now. We we could uh, focus on we could be enmeshed pretty easily in the world right now, and if if we were enmeshed in the world and the news and the stuff that's going on in North Korea and the stuff that's going on in Virginia and the, 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 oh, the feuding and the fighting that's going on in our own, it's almost like a civil war between the Democrats and the Republicans, all this stuff. If we were enmeshed, if we allow ourselves to be enmeshed, we could really be in fear of what's going to happen next in the United States of America. Or... We can choose to declare God's word over this nation. We can choose to, to pray and believe and speak the truth over this nation. We can choose to know that this is one nation under one God. We can um, stand in effective and fervent prayer, believing God's word that says it is dunamis, 
working, miracle working power when you pray that way. That's what I do. I pray consistently. I pray fervently. I stand on the word and I'm not about to be in fear. So we have a choice of being enmeshed in the world in the situation right now with our nation or to say, "Mm -mm, not going to fear, not going to worry, but this is what I am going to do. And if everybody in this nation did that, whoa, things would change in a hurry. They are changing in a hurry because there are a lot of people doing that. Amen. Amen. So spend quality and quantity time with God, separating yourself unto him. And here's number four. Be totally committed. Be totally committed. Stop the conception of thoughts that are contrary to God's promise and contrary to his word. Consider them not. We can do that. You, you have the potential. And you, you, sometimes you just got to do this on purpose. You might not really feel that you believe it. But when that bad doctor's report comes, you say, I will not receive it. You might not want to say it to the doctor. But as soon as you walk out, I will not receive that. I receive your word, God. Your promise is above that promise. I exalt the truth over the facts. You have a choice. You can take those thoughts captive. And instead of reasoning, thinking, what, okay, now what's next? What, you know, and thinking and imagining worst case scenario, you can say, I'm not going to go there. You have control. We have control over our thoughts. So stop it. Stop the conception. Don't let yourself get pregnant with the, the bad report. Number two, instead, consider Jesus and his finished work. Consider the stripes that Jesus took for your healing. Consider the penalty that was paid in full for your shalom, for your peace, nothing missing, nothing broken. Consider the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit that's quickening your mortal body. Consider God who has given you the promise to be reliable and trustworthy and true to his word. Next week, I'm going to teach on that. Magnify the cross. Magnify what Jesus did over everything else. And number three, and I taught on this a couple weeks ago, renew your mind continuously by meditating on the living word instead of the dying world. When you meditate and renew your mind and allow the word to feed you, to encourage you, to build you up, and you consider not the issues, this is what's happening. And this is, it sounds really crude, but I'm going to say it. You are aborting the conception of the evil. You're aborting the conception of the problem. You're a, you might be aborting it when it's first conceived. You might be aborting a, 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 a diagnosis that is a fetus that's three months old. Or you might be aborting it before it's delivered. Late stage pregnancy. But you can still abort it. We're going to conceive the word of God and abort the word of the enemy. That's my heart. That's God's heart more than mine. But that's my desire to convey to you that we have a choice. 
We can, we can change our thinking. We can change the condition of our heart. And the last slide up there, it's simple. It's not hard. There's nothing hard about the gospel. God didn't make it hard. It doesn't take great mind. It doesn't take money. All it takes is commitment. And it will change everything. It won't just change this season. Look at, uh, look at me, guys. I'm different. <laughs> Our whole life has been turned upside down in a really amazing way. We're just committed to God and his word and his truth. 